Hello, and welcome to More Than Abstract. I'm Prangel, and I'm joined by Nat. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to uh, learn about some stuff today. Yeah. Well, before we start, have you uh, traveled abroad uh, recently or at some point? I was going to say recently. I haven't traveled anywhere. Right. right. Um, yeah, I've, I've traveled abroad when I was in high school. I spent some time in Europe. I spent a couple of weeks there. I've been to the Caribbean a couple of times. That's about it. That's pretty good. It's pretty extensive. So when you're in this new country, how do you tell the value of the new currency? Oh, boy. Mostly, I rely on locals, honestly. Like, in the majority of my travels, a lot of it has just... Like, for instance, when we went to the Caribbean, there's, like... There was St. Lucian dollars, right? There was EC, and then there... Which I think is just, like, Caribbean dollars in general. And then there was US, right? And so... Whenever you went to buy something, they'd be like, oh, it's $120. And you're like, US? And they're like, oh, hold on. Uh, that's 80 US or whatever. And you just go, okay. And then you hand them the money. Okay. So I guess you, you rely on the, uh, the baseline of what other people pay? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. That's a lot of it. Like People tell me this is how much it is. I mean, in, I think when I was in Europe, it was a lot more structured. It was, you know, people would pull out their calculator or whatever and tell you what it was or... They could just hit a button on the cash register and it would convert for them. Right. Well, uh, I, I actually have this problem whenever I go to somewhere. I'm just like, I'm very scared of being ripped off because obviously when you're uh, traveling somewhere, you go to a tourist destination, which has higher prices than normal. The way I reconciled it is whenever I go abroad, I try to find the price of a sandwich and base all my purchases off of that. So this train ticket is two sandwiches, for example. Ah, I mean... It's a good standard, right? It's good to have a baseline, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about. The price of a sandwich. I am so on board. In more exact terms, this is going to be on what this currency manipulation problem is. But okay. I'll be talking about it in terms of sandwiches. This is perfect. I didn't really understand uh, what people were worried about when this problem uh, came about. So at one point I thought I'd look into it, and this is my conclusion. I'm not an economist, but this is the best thing I got. I'm not an economist either, so I'm in a, you've already done more homework than I have. <laughs> so I think this can be seen as a political issue in America sometimes. So I'll try to avoid that as much as possible. Sure. In, in this whole topic, whenever I talk about trade between countries, which I'll do a lot, it'll be between the U.S. and Canada, and I'll refer to you as a merchant in America and me a merchant in Canada. Okay, sounds okay. good. All right. So let me give you the backdrop of this whole thing before the manipulation part comes in. So the problem we have here is if the U.S. were to have a large number of imports from Canada than exports, then it would be seen as money that's flowing out of your pocket, essentially. Right. We're buying a lot, but we're not selling much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nobody likes hearing that. This idea has been around for centuries, really. Back in the day in the 17th century, I'm not sure if you were around. I doubt. <laughs> uh, no, no, not, a, not in the 17th century, though. 18th, we're talking. Okay, yeah, then then maybe. Uh, so so Europeans had colonies at this time, and they sent uh, and those colonies sent uh, them raw materials. So take from the Americas raw materials, send it back to Europe. Mm -hmm. In Europe, they would have industry and stuff that would process all this and sell it back to the colonies for a higher price. 
And this whole thing was given the term mercantilism. Hmm. Again, same idea as what we have today, where if you sell something for hire, then you buy it, then you make money, Mm -hmm. which they did for a time. So this was like early scalping, right? This was, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's just really scalping. This is the, the GPU hoarding of the 17th century. So here, the world can be was thought of as a zero-sum game, where you only grow your pie by taking someone else's. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you agree with that take, uh, with my take on that? Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I think I agree with that statement in general. In a lot of contexts, you know, scarcity is... I think this is one thing I do remember from from my one microeconomics class in college, which was scarcity. That's the that's the driving force of everything. There's only so much of literally everything. Yeah. And even if there was enough of everything, there's only so much time. So you always run into scarcity. So I think in general, I agree with that statement. It has a lot of undertones, right? Like you have to put other people down to get yourself forward, which, you know, maybe I don't necessarily agree with that. But yeah, yeah, I'm on board. Right, the moral things is uh, questionable. But... The moral problems are more complicated, but I would mm-hmm. argue from like a purely objective numerical standpoint, yes. Yeah, it does make sense. Money in, money out. Uh, like you import stuff too much, then you, mm-hmm. you start losing money. Sure. It's essentially uh, the, the thing of people become poor by doing trade in some way, as if they're losing. And this, this whole thing, it's uh, given the term a balance of trade. So okay. let's take the example of what happens when mercantilism is really good. So I'll tell you what happened to Spain. They had a ton of colonies in the New World. And also tons of gold was coming in from South America and Central America. And it was going right into the pockets of Spanish people. Well, some of them at least. Mm-hmm. But that didn't actually work out well for them. They, it was a huge problem. Since there was so much more money flowing around, the price of th- living just skyrocketed. All oh, yeah, of a sudden. you hit that inflation point, right? Yeah. yeah. Having too much money was the problem. And so, so obviously, we, we don't have mercantil- many mercantilist policies today, but this idea of the balance of trade is still around. Mm-hmm. There, that's where things like trade deals come in. Uh, usually there's... Um, like NAFTA, right? Yeah, like NAFTA. Yeah. Usually they're there to uh, protect certain domestic producers from cheaper versions that you might find internationally. And for the most part, that's okay. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about stuff from farms like milk, maybe you don't want to get cheap milk from really far away in your fridge for some reason. In general, there's a lot of free t- trade that go- goes around and people selling things between countries with little to no tariff is a good thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. But then that brings up the problem of the balance of trade. And there are several ways that you can think of this problem, like kind of like philosophy. Really, mm-hmm. it you don't really know the right answer. You just know that hey, you could look at it this way. Maybe it's a good thing. So I think people have heard the bad way of looking at this thing: money in, money out. Mm-hmm. You get poorer. When you look at numbers, it it might seem like you, you know this is GDP is cal- uh, how GDP is calculated is. If the number's bigger, it's great. It's smaller, terrible. Uh, and imports makes it more negative. But nobody actually knows in the middle. Welcome right. to economics, where the GDP is made up and doesn't matter. <laughs> Honestly, though, I have no idea what a GDP is, though. I know it's a gross domestic product, but I, I have literally no idea what that means. Call me a millennial. I have no idea. You make a really good point. This GDP thing, when economists try to think about, okay, how's an economy doing? How's this country doing? They don't really think, 
let's just look at GDP. There's you got to look at many other things mm-hmm. to make an informed decision. Let me pose an example to you. Say I want to make a transaction with you. I want to trade some delicious maple Canadian maple syrup for some fine Wisconsin cheese, and we're going to do all these transactions in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. How so. tastefully stereotypical. <laughs> yeah. Maple syrup for cheese, and, and we're doing it all in U.S. currency because America's the center of the world. <laughs> Let's go. So you decide to sell me $50 worth of Wisconsin cheese. So you just go down to your local grocery store in Wisconsin and bought some cheese and ship it to me in Canada. Mm-hmm. I get the cheese here, and it's worth $70, since not everyone can really make good cheese. Mm -hmm. So I go to my local grocery store and go ahead and buy $70 worth of maple syrup, the same price of the cheese, Mm -hmm. and I send it to you. Mm -hmm. In America, it's now worth $90, since not everyone can make good syrup. Mm -hmm. You essentially made $40 profit from the... transferring goods but on a ledger it's seen as a trade deficit forty dollars worth of goods were exported but ninety dollars worth of goods were imported even though you made a profit from this thing as a whole it looks like you lost money in this transaction right because i got more money in than i than i put out yeah but when you stop and think about it it makes total sense like i'm winning this game Mm -hmm. i made money off of this deal it's a bit confusing because it's not obvious necessarily. Like the other way, it's completely obvious. You're losing money. But yeah, no, it's really like philosophy where it's not really the right answer. You just got to you know, gotta think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Purely on paper, it seems, I guess going back to our earlier example, right? This seems like the bad thing, right? My imports exceed my exports. But I guess in this case, I haven't bought $90 worth of syrup from you. Is that is that the issue, right? Because if we talk about import versus export, right? An import is when you buy something. In this case, I haven't bought the syrup from you. I traded you. I guess in the barter system, that would make sense, right? But I guess right. I sold you $50 worth of cheese, and then I I I also, in a separate transaction, purchased the maple syrup from you even though it's a trade you can't right. actually just trade stuff in the modern age right you got to swipe the card somewhere right that's 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 essentially uh what's going on you're just swiping the card for different prices in mm-hmm. different places now this won't be the case all the time but it just goes to show you that this whole situation isn't exactly black and white it's mm-hmm. usually just a shade of gray in the middle there aren't winners or losers necessarily just people playing the game mm-hmm. and that's the basis of the problem, uh, uh, from what I understand. Uh, people think they're losing money from these trade deals, but how does that relate to currency manipulation and this whole thing? This is usually something that a government or central bank does and not an individual person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the sense sometimes that when people think of this issue, they blame individuals rather than solely a government. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. <laughs> no, but you always blame the government. The only thing more American than trading cheese for maple syrup in U.S. currency is than blaming the government when it goes wrong. <laughs> that is the only thing more American. Well, either way, say and let's let's take another example. Say I'm selling you some sandwiches across the board, say for mm-hmm. like three dollars, and I price these sandwiches such that I make no money from it. Okay. Now imagine Canada comes in and it wants to inflate its currency to help out my sandwich selling business. Well, what, 
what can they do? Uh, they have a few options. They can subsidize my sandwiches to make them cheaper, but that costs money. Or they can instead inflate the, uh, the Canadian dollar in foreign markets. How this is done is just go to a foreign currency exchange and sell Canadian dollars for US dollars. And since there are more Canadian dollars in the flow, its value will decrease. So mm. US dollars would buy more Canadian. All right, so the government does that. The costs of my sandwiches don't change at all, really. It, it still costs the same to make it in Canada. But mm -hmm. since I make no money from pricing, uh, from the pricing of the sandwich, its value will go down uh, when I sell it to you in America. So instead of selling for $3, I would in sell, instead sell for $2. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Economics is complicated. Walk me through it one more time. So you sell it, you sell a sandwich, here, maybe I'll walk you through, how about this? So you, you're selling me a sandwich for $3 originally, right? But you're not making any money off of that because it also costs you $3 to make said sandwich. Mm -hmm. So the Canadian government, being as wonderful as it is some of the times, I suppose, decides they're going to help you out. And in to do it, they decide they're going to inflate the Canadian dollar, right? And inflation just means that the prices of things generally increase, correct? Uh, they're going to inflate the Canadian dollar in foreign markets. There's a difference between domestic... Oh, so they're not changing anything domestically. No. Nope. Okay, the cost so, of living is the same. So they're they're putting their finger on the scale with the conversion rates then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. This makes way more sense now. So so basically what they've done is made the... They, they've made it so that I have to pay more money the same good you would actually pay less money but the pro i <laughs> well now my brain is totally fried <laughs> i guess the problem here is if there was another sandwich maker in america and i would make my sandwiches so much cheaper that they couldn't stay in business mm, that's okay. where the problem might lie that would be the problem yes okay so you're now making money because because the canadian government has decided to increase the the, the value of the canadian dollar elsewhere yeah that's yeah. right my sandwiches are more competitive than, than domestic sandwich makers, and I would be making more money through this whole mm -hmm. deal. More, than, more money because you're making more than zero. That's right. Mm -hmm. I'd be making more than zero. So from how I understand it, that's the whole angle of this currency manipulation thing. Mm -hmm. This trade deficit, which people seem to think makes them poorer, grows larger because some government is playing with their the currency exchange huh no this is just this is just crazy i'm just sitting here thinking like it's all a sham it's like gamestop all over again but instead <laughs> of a bunch of angry redditors playing with the stock market it's just it's big currency yeah big currency big currency and sandwiches so it this whole currency manipulation labeling thing it's really only a u.s thing I didn't see the same classification for European countries. Like Britain doesn't go up to Canada saying like, hey, you got to stop helping this guy sell sandwiches. That's not cool. I, I liked your British government impression there too. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the flawless accent. If you yeah. Know. It was the flawless accent and general mannerisms that you went about that <laughs> with. But anyway, what, what about the other way around? We've talked about how having a weaker currency does for trade, but what does having a stronger currency do for you? Well, it's actually the opposite effect. If you make a currency stronger in, in, in foreign markets, it doesn't change the price of living inside the country, 
but it makes imports cheaper for you. So say you have a really strong currency, expect there to be a lot of foreign imports mm-hmm. compared to exports. You have more buying power. Yeah, that's that's yeah. exactly it. Oh, that's right. That's that's totally a term. I've totally I remember I've heard that before. Yeah, you have more <laughs> buying power, whereas the reverse case that you were saying you have more selling power. Mm-hmm. That's right. So today there's actually only two and maybe one uh, a country that are labeled uh, currency manipulators. So Vietnam, Switzerland, and the third is Taiwan that are labeled these things. Switzerland mm-hmm. totally makes sense. One of the European countries that I visited was was Switzerland, and the conversion rate from a U.S. dollar to a Swiss franc was ridiculous. It was insane. I remember going into a grocery store and like picking up a bar of Swiss chocolate, right? Because what else do American tourists do in Switzerland? And it costs like three francs, right? And you're sitting there thinking like, oh, that's not bad. It's like three bucks. No, it was like twelve dollars. It was insane. It was like 12 bucks for like a Hershey bar. Now, I might be fudging the numbers, but it was considerable. Like, I remember being in Britain, or the United Kingdom, I'll be correct, right? And I remember the conversion from the US dollar to the pound at that point was like two, $2 to one pound. And I thought that was crazy. But then I got to Switzerland, it was like at least three to one. It's a lot. At yeah. least. So that actually totally, anecdotally speaking, kind of makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I guess so. And all this whole labeling thing really does, it, it just means that the two countries need to go into a trade negotiation to reconcile their problems. It's not like, you know, they made some, did some crime against the World Trade Organization necessarily. Mm-hmm. You said maybe. I remember Vietnam, Switzerland, and what was the maybe? The maybe was Taiwan. I didn't know if I could call that a country or not, but it's, it's oh, in the list. Oh, oh, I see, I see. That's more of like a sociopolitical issue than a like ambiguity, amb- ambiguity, uh, ambiguity <laughs> in in the economic side of things. Right. So that's actually all I have for you. <laughs> Wait, the U.S. isn't uh, isn't a currency manipulator? It, it. So there has been a lot of shade thrown on the U.S. because quantitative easing stimulus checks are also a form of currency manipulation. Whoa. Okay, I didn't even think about the stimulus check. Wow. Yeah, that's flooding the market with currency, isn't it? Yeah. But that's flooding a domestic market, right? R- right. The domestic, which interlinks with the international market. If someone were to do that, change their currency domestically, it's technically currency manipulation, even though, you know, they're going to build roads. Like, we're not you know, trying to make the sandwich selling business any better. We're just trying to build a road here. You're trying to make the road cheaper. Wow. Okay. So how does this affect everyday life? Right. Because this whole like import export thing, you know, like I'm not an exporter. I'm, I'm just a guy who goes to the grocery store and buys an unhealthy quantity of Doritos, let's say. Mm-hmm. How, much, how much does this, this foreign market thing really affect me? So it would make your products cheaper if you get them from internationally. If an it, so, if someone else was uh, doing this currency manipulation thing and imported it to America, mm. it would make the products cheaper. But it also means that it would be harder for American manufacturers to compete. Yeah, say I'm not morally bound then, right? And I, I and I'm, you know. I don't, I don't care about American production going out. That's not a true statement, right? But let's just say like, eh, whatever. I want the cheapest thing. 
this currency manipulation is actually low key a pretty good thing for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can get my stuff cheaper. It it is. So how how does this not get? How does this not get like? I guess the word I want to use is regulated, right? Right. I mean, I guess is there like the World Bank? What does the World Bank do? Because it would seem this kind of sounds like me not knowing anything about international politics or the World Bank or anything like that, right? This kind of sounds like a World Bank thing. I think the World Bank, it mostly gives out loans for development projects, not Hmm. necessarily currency stuff. I don't think they have the power Uh, for that. Okay. Because I guess I, I, I guess somebody has to keep track of all this stuff, right? Someone has to keep track of all the conversion rates, mm-hmm. and it seems like a stock market type deal, right? Like the rates yeah. are going to be fluctuating. Someone's got to keep who who's keeping track of all of this. Well, I I don't think there is anyone keeping track, or maybe other countries are keeping track of it just to see how each other's doing, right? Because like if I, I I guess my so if I'm in America. And I'm going to go to the United Kingdom. Let's say I freeze time. I hit the pause button. If I decide to convert my U.S. dollars to pounds in the United States, right? In theory, I should get the same like quantity as if I somehow magically teleported to the U.K. and did my exchange there, right? Well, it, it would be because if uh, you're converting from a different currency, it would by definition be uh, a foreign exchange. Mm-hmm. So you would be in this foreign exchange market even if you were in Britain or in America. Right, right. What I'm saying, though, is, is like the two countries have to have the same conversion rate, don't they? Oh, right. Yeah, they, they do. So then someone's got to be keeping track of all this in some kind of like centralized unit. I guess that's where I thought the World Bank came into play, right? Are they, are they the monopoly banker who just keeps track of all <laughs> the exchanges and you just hope to God you don't land on boardwalk? I don't even know what that is in this metaphor. Well, you know, there are actually stock traders that trade in foreign currencies. So I think it's called the Forex market or something. Hmm. So people will speculate on different currencies and say like, oh, you know, if something's happening there. Maybe they'll go down or if they're manipulating, maybe they'll go up. Interesting. So if I'm a sandwich maker, as long as as long as my selling power is going up, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're golden. Once that's I'm happened. golden. Now, if I'm a selling, if I if I'm selling sandwiches and the country I'm trying to sell to gets more buying power, that's bad for me, isn't it? That's bad for you. Yeah, that's really bad for me. The quantitative easing thing might be bad for some exports to the U.S. Oh yeah, yeah, that could be a problem. Well, that's a problem for someone else, really. That's a problem for those sandwich people. Yeah, you got to do something to make it better. Put some tomato in there. Oh, there we go. Okay, now we're now we're evolving. We go from we're going from just grilled cheese to BLTs. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're going for. Awesome. So that's all I have for you. Cool, cool. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. Tell us what you think about it and tell a friend about it. For some supplementary content, follow us on Twitter at more abstract. And you can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts.